0: Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. Lent is long. (laughs) It just is. Now, in Godly Play, we say that Lent is longer than Advent, because those are the two getting ready seasons, um, because Easter is an even greater mystery than Christmas. So here we are. We have arrived. Um, If you have been with us during Lent, you know that we have been contemplating the I am statements of Jesus throughout the Gospel of John. I am the way, the truth, and the life, the gate, the good shepherd, the bread of life, the true vine, the light of the world. And now on Easter Sunday, I am the resurrection and the life. We already heard the joyful and mysterious passage from John 20, in which some of Jesus's closest friends and followers discover the empty tomb. And in a moment, I'm gonna read for us the passage from John 11, in which Jesus declares himself to be the resurrection and the life. It can be such a fruitful practice for us to allow different passages to sit next to each other and be in conversation with one another like this. It's a practice that the kids in Godly Play have taught me a lot about this Lent. Um, they have taken objects from around the room and each, each object in the room represents or is part of a Bible story. Um, and so they, they pick something out and they physically place it next to a, a picture representing a story from the life of Jesus. So for example, one of the kids in this circle took the lost sheep from the Good Shepherd and put it next to Boy Jesus, who was lost and then found by his parents in the temple. Um, another child found the the blue felt from that was the Red Sea, and put it next to baptism, uh, Jesus's baptism, uh, because it both had they both had water. Um, and there have been so many really just surprising connections that that we've discovered together through through this practice. So anyway, when we take different passages of scripture and bring them out and let them talk to each other, we often find surprising and illuminating connections and insights. So here we go. Here's John 11. A certain man, Lazarus, was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This was the Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness isn't fatal. It's for the glory of God so that God's son can be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was. After two days, he said to the disciples, let's return to Judea again. The disciples replied, Rabbi, the Jewish opposition wants to stone you but you want to go back? Jesus answered, aren't there 12 hours in the day? Whoever walks in the day doesn't stumble because they see the light of the world. But whoever walks in the night does stumble because the light isn't in them. He continued, our friend Lazarus is asleep, but I am going in order to wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will get well. They thought Jesus meant that Lazarus was in a deep sleep, but Jesus had spoken about Lazarus's death. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, but for your sakes, I am glad I wasn't there so that you can believe. Let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the other disciples, let us go too, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was a little less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to comfort Martha and Mary after their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, while Mary remained in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She responded, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, God's son, the one who is coming into the world. After she said this, she went and spoke privately to her sister Mary. The teacher is here and he's calling for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to Jesus. He hadn't entered the village yet, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were comforting Mary in the house saw her quickly get up and leave, they followed her. They assumed that she was going to mourn at the tomb. When Mary arrived where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying also, he was deeply disturbed and troubled. He asked, where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to cry. The Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, he healed the eyes of the man born blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was deeply disturbed again when he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone covered the entrance. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said, Lord, the smell will be awful. He's been dead for four days. Jesus replied, didn't I tell you that if you believe you will see God's glory? So they removed the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied and his face covered with a cloth. Jesus said to them, untie him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came with Mary and saw what Jesus did believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. I am the resurrection and the life. This particular I am statement will forever be connected in my brain to funerals. Um, and if you have attended many funerals that, are, that use the Book of Common Prayer, um, you might have a similar association Uh, I remember my grandmother's funeral. You know, it's silence. You could hear a pin drop. And then you hear this booming voice from the back of the sanctuary. I am the resurrection and I am the life, says the Lord. Whoever has faith in me shall have life, even though he die. And everyone who has life and has committed himself to me in faith shall not die forever. It's a beautiful, dramatic, and hopeful way to start a funeral. And I guess it's fitting that I associate this verse with funerals generally because Jesus called himself the resurrection and the life at a funeral, or more specifically after a funeral. I, I had a fun thought experiment this week where I translated this or tried to translate this into southern funeral culture, and it doesn't map perfectly, but I imagine Jesus has missed the visitation, he's missed the funeral, He's missed the graveside service. And he walks into the luncheon that's put on by the church ladies afterwards where the family and the out-of-town guests are eating fried chicken and commenting on how lovely the flowers were and what a nice service it was. If I saw Jesus walk in at that point of my loved one's funeral, I would be really, really angry. I mean, Jesus had plenty of time to get there, but he missed all of it. Not only does he appear to have failed as a healer and a miracle worker, but he's failed as a friend. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And we've all felt that, right? Chris spoke powerfully about this last week. Where were you when I needed you, Jesus? Why didn't you stop this from happening? Don't you care? And Jesus responds not with a platitude or a rebuke, but he himself is overcome with emotion as he asks, where have you laid him? And then at the tomb, Jesus and Mary and Martha and all the friends and relatives gathered around weep together. Can you imagine it? The passage says that Jesus was deeply moved and troubled. So I don't think this was a polite, like, hanky to the corner of your eye kind of crying. When I am deeply troubled and I weep, it is ugly and loud and messy, and I have no reason to think it was different with Jesus. I'm so grateful that we have this record that Jesus wept at the pain and suffering caused by Lazarus' death. Jesus's tears tell me that he cares deeply for us and suffers with us. Oscar Romero once said that there are many things that can only be seen through eyes that have cried. And Jesus truly sees us and is with us in our suffering, even as he is also our ultimate hope for life beyond suffering. And we see this in what happens next. Jesus, who is in himself the resurrection and the life, the source of our ultimate hope, unleashes that life-giving power on Lazarus, shocking everyone who is gathered. Unbind him and let him go free, Jesus says. In a lot of ways, the story of Lazarus feels like a dress rehearsal for Easter. You've got a disappointed and grieving family and friends, an unfair and untimely death. And of course, a dead man who gets up and walks out of the tomb. But this time, it is the one who is life itself, who has died. That must have been so overwhelming and confusing. In John 20, we see another Mary, Mary Magdalene, who is weeping beside a tomb. Mary, why do you weep? They have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Where are you, Jesus? I can't find you. If only you had been here, if only you were here. I can almost hear the desperation in her voice. What have they done now? Hasn't he suffered enough? Haven't we suffered enough? Dear one, why do you weep? Is it sickness or violence or injustice or death? Is it the apparent indifference of the power brokers to make any of it better? Is it the cries of the poor, the hungry, the marginalized, the terrorized, the ostracized, the stressed out, the burnt out, the down and out? Beloved, why do you weep? The angels want to know, Jesus wants to know. If only you were here, Lord, if only you had done something, if only you would do something. And the response that Jesus offers on Easter morning is to say Mary's name. Just as with the Lazarus story, he responds with the intimacy of his very own presence. I am here. I was here. I will be here. And what's more, I am the resurrection and the life. And even as we want to like fist pump and cheer that Jesus is alive, This incredible and world-altering Easter story doesn't give us a free pass from pain or suffering or death. Lazarus still experienced death after all, and after being raised, would experience death again. Jesus still experienced the torture and humiliation of a violent death. And I'm sure Mary still vividly remembered standing under the cross and watching Jesus suffer and die even as she looked him face to face as her resurrected Lord, overcome with joyful surprise. Jesus, by dying and being raised, conquered death itself. But even though death has been defeated, we still see it, we still experience it. We live in a world that is in process. The kingdom of God is at hand, and that kingdom is real and it is powerful. But sadly, it's not the only reality. And until Jesus returns to put everything right, we live in a world filled with sin and all of its ugly consequences. And because of this, the kingdom of God can be hard to see, even when, like Mary Magdalene, we're staring right at it. This is why I am so glad for the question, why do you weep? Because there are so many valid reasons to weep, one of them being because we can't find Jesus. If you'd only been here, Lord, if only. And this is when Jesus looks us straight in the eye and speaks our name. Beloved, I am right here. I am closer than your breath. And once it sinks in for us that we are not alone and that Jesus indeed is making all things new, he says to us, along with Mary Magdalene, Go and tell the others. Tell them that you have seen the risen Christ, that there is valid reason to have hope, that in spite of everything we've been through and everything we will go through, as we live in this already but not yet kingdom, it is important to remember where we're headed, especially when we're overwhelmed by all that is wrong in the world. In the book of Revelation, we get this incredible vision of a new heaven and a new earth. And we hear Christ saying to us, look, God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning, no crying, and no pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And then the th- one seated on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. Let's pray. Risen Lord, give us eyes to see you fully alive and at work on this Easter morning, making all things new. Amen. Amen.